Welcome to Herb W. Morgan's Slaying Bulls and Bears, a podcast about economics, markets, investing, politics, and profit. Every Monday, in less than 20 minutes, Wall Street portfolio manager Herb W. Morgan distills the complex and complicated into the simple and sensical. Here's Herb now. Good morning, everybody. It's Monday, August 1st, 2022. I'm Herb Morgan, Senior Managing Director and Chief Investment Officer and founder of Efficient Market Advisors. This is my weekly economic and commentary. For more frequent intra-week commentary, you can follow me on Twitter at ETF underscore strategist or on LinkedIn, just Herb Morgan. This uh, is available. If you are seeing the slides, you got an email and you clicked, uh, clicked on a link or you went to our website and clicked on a link, you're, you're subscribing and you get all of this information. However, if you're busy and you want to just listen in your car while driving or wherever in your home, you can tell any smart device to just play the podcast, Slaying Bulls and Bears, or play Herb Morgan's podcast and you will get the information. Hear my lovely voice speaking but uh, you'll miss out on the actual slides, the graphs and the charts, which are a good part of it as well. The presentation you're seeing and or hearing is prepared by me for your use, whether you are a financial advisor or an individual investor. Either way, you are expected to make your own investment decisions. Nothing contained in this presentation should be treated as investment advice. No recommendation for the purchase or sale of any securities. Purely for informational purposes only, its adequacy, accuracy, and completeness cannot be guaranteed. So we had kind of some bad news on the economic front, which I'm going to get into next week, but better than expected earnings news and a better than expected press conference from the U.S. Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell. Those things combined to sort of look away from the slowing economy and the, and the not so great economic news and rally stocks in a big way. S&P 500 up more than four and a quarter percent, mid and small cap stocks, even greater still, international markets participate. And you know how high the dollar's been this year. It's really strong dollar, which by the way, is a disinflationary element that we should be considering and looking at. But bonds also caught the bid, thinking that the bond market is saying, hey, inflation is rolling over. We're okay bidding up the prices and bidding down the yields in the bond markets. So let's get into that economic data. We'll talk a little bit about where we are in earnings season. And we're, of course, going to spend some time talking about the Fed and what happened there at the end of their two-day meeting last week. So let's start with housing, because housing is a big part of all of our balance sheets and a big, big driver of the economy, right? House construction, uh, house improvement, big part of the U.S. economy, roughly 4%. In May, so it's a little little dated, right? Today's August 1, but we got this report in late July. The FHFA, Federal Housing Finance Agency, HPI, House Price Index, expected to go up 1.5. It was up 1.4, still up over 18% uh, on a year-over-year basis. You can see here, looks like we finally hit the ceiling on these both monthly gains, left-hand side, and the right-hand side on the year-over-year gains. And it all seems much more likely than not to me that these numbers are going to continue to go further down and to the right. We also got the same report from S&P, which is the old Case-Shiller Home Price Index that S&P purchased some time ago. 
1.3% gain on the month, less than expected 1.5, still up an absolutely massive 20.5%. Also expect that number to continue to decline in the coming months, in my opinion. Why? Well, <clears throat> interest rates are up, making it far more difficult for people to afford to purchase homes, whether they're new or resale. Speaking of new homes, in the month of June, a little bit more recent data, home sale, new home sales dropped 8% to an, to an annualized pace of 590, way below the estimate of 655, way below the late 2020 run rate of a million, getting close to cutting it in half, certainly down more than 40%. And May's gain was, May's number was revised from an annualized pace of almost 700,000 to an annualized pace of 640,000. This reading here in the far right is the lowest in two years. Within that report, there's more data. One of the things is a question of what percentage of consumers are planning to buy a home in the next six months. That dropped to 4.4%. That's the lowest reading since 2015. That's one of the reasons I think home prices are gonna to continue to moderate here. And the number of new homes for sale that's out there on the market, um, 457,000. That's the highest since the recession, the big recession in 2008. So it's a supply demand issue. Supply and demand have been out of balance in housing for some time. Now I recognize that every market is different, right? The San Diego market is different from the Phoenix market, which is different from the Southern Connecticut market. But in the aggregate, in the United States, we have quite a bit of supply now of new homes with high prices and higher interest rates. That is going to dampen uh, the residential real estate market without a doubt, in, in my uh, opinion. Pending home sales, that's June pending home sales, dropped a massive 8.6%. Estimate was to go down just 1%. And you're seeing levels here. Look at the this is the, the right-hand scale percentage change from a year ago. You're looking at 20%. We haven't seen numbers like this since the closing of the pandemic, you know, close down of the economy during the COVID pandemic days when we had the lockdown. So another indicator that suggests those home price values are going to continue to moderate. We're not predicting a collapse or a crash or anything like that. We'll always have housing, we'll always need housing. And in markets, many markets, those drops will be very, very modest, but these big massive gains and these bidding wars for homes uh, are over for now. Talk a little bit about how we all feel, uh, consumer confidence, both, both from the University of Michigan and this one here from the conference board. In July, uh, our confidence dropped from a reading of 98.4 to 95.7, that was below estimates. We're starting to get down towards the level of the recession area from the shutdown in 2020. We're not quite there. You can see those readings there in the mid 80s, but we're getting there, 95.7. Present situation component fell. Expectations for future economic activity and our confidence in it fell uh, to the lowest reading since 2013. In addition to the conference board report, the University of Michigan report showed really the same thing. And it rose a little on a month over month basis, but it's coming off an, a record all time low from this measure, all time low in June. So it's up from 50 to 51.5. 
Current conditions were actually up a little in this one. Expectations, however, fell to the lowest level since 1980. And for those of you around in 1980, it's a pretty horrible economy. Uh, that was the stagflation days. We had no growth, no jobs, and inflation. Today we've got some inflation, but a very robust labor market, a very strong consumer, a lot of aggregate demand in the economy. Moving on to durable goods, June durable goods up 1.9%. The estimate was for a drop of 0.4, much better than expected. That's what I mean about this, this economy is decelerating. Don't get me wrong, but it's not decelerating because demand is evaporating. The consumer is still strong and actually businesses are still strong. What we're seeing is just a deceleration from the massive acceleration coming out of the violent intervention into the economy, which was the shutdown, right? It was just a never seen anything like it before. Let's cut off things. Let's shut it down. We come back out, massive pent up demand, supply chain issues. And we're still working through a lot of that pent up demand. So even backing out, we had a huge month in aircraft, um, defense aircraft, especially backing out transportation. We still had a three tenths of a percent increase. So it, the durable goods suggest that, you know, the economy is just kind of moving along and doing, doing pretty good. The labor market suggests things are still Pretty good, although you can see weekly claims for unemployment in a little bit of a uptrend since I'd say early March, the bottoming in early March, where we got below 200,000 of weekly claims for unemployment. We uh, came in this week at 256,000. That's fine. Continuing claims here at, at um, uh, 1.4 million. Remember, the Fed's mandate two things um, price stability which we don't have at the moment, and they're working on obtaining by raising those short-term interest rates, rolling off the liquidity from their balance sheet. And the second thing is full employment. If they conflict, the market's scared. We don't know what's happening. Right now, they're not conflicting. The Fed can raise rates aggressively, and they are, 75 basis points we got last week, as long as the labor market stays okay. And right now the labor market's still out of balance, meaning there's more, way more job openings than there are unemployed people. So for that reason, the Fed is trying, hoping, we all hope they're successful, to bring down the inflation without totally shutting down aggregate demand. We just want to lessen aggregate demand a little bit because we have an inflationary element to having too much aggregate demand coming out of the COVID all of this was created by, in my opinion, very poor economic management during the COVID pandemic. Uh, not that it wasn't well-intentioned. I just think they made a lot of mistakes and got it quite wrong in how they handled this um, during COVID. So we're, we're dealing with the after effects of that now. Speaking of which, biggest question I was getting last night is, oh boy, aren't we officially in recession? because we had two negative quarters of GDP growth. Very barely negative, as you can see here on the right, you see those two little negative bars. That's Q1 of this year, Q2 of this year, compares nothing to the massive two quarterly drops that we had in the 2020 um, period. We had Q2 G GDP fall 0.9%, is expected to go down minus 0.4, so that was worse than expected. But when you look through it, personal consumption was up again. So in the first quarter up 1.8, the second quarter is up one. There are many components to GDP. And the most important is the consumer. Do people have jobs? Yes. 
do people take the money they earn from their jobs and buy things or experiences in terms of services? The answer again is yes. Spending on services in the second quarter was actually up 4%. So we still have this very, very strong consumer. Well, what, what dragged it down into that quote unquote negative area? And why is it not yet a recession? Well, first of all, we had a residential investment drop about 14%. We talked about the home industry. It was very overheated. Lumber, if you remember last year, completely unaffordable. That has now rolled over completely. Um, we still have labor issues in construction, et cetera. But let's take a look at the formulas. Quick reminder for what is the formula for GDP? Well, first of all, it's consumption. We just, got, we just said consumption's very strong, plus investment, plus government spending. So before I get to the rest, you know, if we are in a recession and the government responds by having a massive Keynesian fiscal stimulus where they say, well, we're gonna borrow $600 billion and build a new, build airports or roads or bridges or something to stimulate economic demand. Well, we don't have that happening. We don't need that happening because economic demand is strong. In fact, demand was too strong, which is how we got inflation. So sometimes the big increase in G makes your GDP look bigger and you would think the economy is great, but it's not that big increase in spending is in response to a poor economy. The same thing could be said about the balance of trade, which is exports minus imports. Remember that exports add to GDP and imports subtract to GDP, subtract from GDP. So what happened in the second quarter? Well, it was negatively and heavily negatively influenced by drag from inventories. We had companies trying to rebuild inventories, but they weren't rebuilding them as fast as expected. So that was a little bit of a drag on the GDP growth. In fact, it subtracted 2.2%. So if inventory builds had just been as big as they were in prior quarters, we wouldn't have a negative GDP. Well, they were bigger in prior quarters because we were coming off the COVID recession and we had supply chain issues. And so all of this has to be taken into consideration, right? Trade in the first quarter and late last year, quite frankly, we had this massive increase in imports because the price of energy was going up, 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 up. And because US consumers had so much money from all the the stimulus related to COVID, we were buying more and more stuff. So those increases in imports were subtracting from GDP. But if the consumer is strong and they're buying more things, that's not necessarily always a negative thing. So we have to look through that GDP report every time. One of the things we saw in this report, I saw in this report, was that final sales to consumers, private domestic purchasers is what they call it in the report, up 3% in the second quarter. A recession is a lack of aggregate demand. A recession is when people are losing their jobs, when there's no jobs to be had, when people are losing their homes to foreclosure. So this is not a recession. There's the National Bureau of Economic Research, NBER. The NBER will declare a recession when we get a recession. To be sure, demand is decelerating. We run the risk of getting into a recession and that risk is coming up pretty soon. Second half, probably Q4, more likely than not. Uh, we're off to a great start here in Q3 with only one month down, the month of July, obviously. So anyway, that's my little commentary on why it's two quarters negative, not necessarily recession. Personal income would be going down in a recession, right? Personal income rose six-tenths of a percent in the month of June. That's the second straight nice hike nice raise. 
Spending gained 1.1%. So that was pretty good. You can see these numbers are pretty elevated still here. Income, this is spending, the red, even well before COVID and all that. We're still above all of those levels. The economy is quite strong. So even adjusting for inflation, spending was up a tenth of a percent uh, in the month of June. Well, what's not going great? Well, we still have this persistent inflation issue. And there were a couple of readings last week. First one was this, the employment cost index. Second quarter employment cost index rose 1.3%. And it was less than, in the, than the prior quarter, but everybody was hoping to see some relief there. It's up 5.1% on a year over year basis. This is a record high going back about 20 years. Um, so it's nice to see wages and salaries rise, but we also know that companies have to pass this through to consumers, which continues that inflationary pressure. There are many things today that are disinflationary, but uh, employment costs are not one of them. So what's, you know, there are a lot of disinflationary items, slow down in the money supply, strengthen the dollar, um, the, 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 the waning of a lot of aggregate demand issues that we're seeing, uh, energy prices started to roll over. Most commodity prices have completely rolled over. All of those are good on the inflation front. This one is still very real. And that's why the Fed is remaining diligent about, we got to keep working on this. We got to keep continuing to sort of downshift the economy without going into a recession. That's the big, big one. So along with the GDP report, you get a, pers a PCE, personal consumption expenditures report. This is the inflation gauge that the Fed looks at to see whether or not they're getting the job done. And this is another one that was not so hot last week. PCE price index was up 1% for the month. Um, the estimate was for 9 tenths, 6.8% a year over year basis. Core, much more important, backs out food and energy. Food and energy can go way up and they can come way down very, very quickly. Uh, it was up 6 tenths, a little worse than expected, 4.8% year over year. You can see not the worst of the cycle, and we've rolled over for a couple of months, but nobody was happy to see that little uptick. Hopefully that's a one-month phenomenon, and that start continues to come down. The Fed, which I mentioned raised rates 75 basis points, their short-term rate last week, does not meet in August. They have their Jackson Hole Symposium, or the World Central Bankers Go. They'll communicate from that. Fed speak is going to be very important in August. That'll give you an idea of what they're expecting in September. But as of right now, all of us are expecting in September a 50 basis point hike. That's less than 75, meaning that the, the pace of Fed hiking has probably peaked. They're seeing signs of the cool down that they want. Uh, and therefore, 50 is probably in the bag uh, for September. Then the Fed chairman got on television right after and suddenly went from being very hawkish a couple of meetings ago to being very dovish, saying, hey, I did it. I could do more. I could not do more. We see signs. We're okay. And the market said, wow, all the ollie oxen free. And that's how you had this huge rally last week. That may be a little bit premature. You may see that moderate a little bit uh, because I do think there's 50 bips coming um, in September. And I think, by the way, the market can handle it and it's the right call. Uh, July, Chicago PMI fell uh, and fell more than expected. That's a manufacturing PMI for the Chicago region. New orders fell further into contraction. So this is stuff the Fed sees to know, hey, our, our actions are having an impact. 
So even though the, P, the CPI and the PCE and some of these inflation indicators are a little slower to react, there's usually a delay, they know it's coming. We all know it's coming. And that's why I think they're going to slow down the pace of uh, rate increases here. So let's get out of some of that. Let's get out of that macro stuff and right into earnings. Uh, we've had 277 of the 400, out of 498 S&P 500 names uh, report. Uh, 205 of those beat estimates. That's pretty good. Average earnings surprise here is about 4, 4.2%. Only 58 companies uh, missed. And that was a big fear going into this earnings season. And keep in mind that this week was the biggest week, or the past week rather, the biggest week of this quarterly reporting season for the S&P 500, both by number of companies and by market capitalization. Obviously, we had Apple Computer, uh, that's a lot of market capitalization. Um, this week coming up is another big one, but the biggest is now behind us. This week is 154 names, about 15% of market cap. What this week is about is small cap companies, a little bit more domestically focused, right? 758 of the Russell 2000 companies, almost half, 42.6% of market cap is reporting. So that's going to be a market driver this week. Interestingly, the Russell 2000 was up big last week in advance of all of this. Back to the S&P 500 for a second. Much better than fear is the bottom line why things are hanging in there in the second quarter. At the beginning of earnings season, everybody thought we were going to see 4% growth. We're coming in at 6.6% growth. 75% of names are beating estimates. That's down a little from the first quarter, 77% and an abnormally high number, 80% beating as we rolled out of the shutdown, uh, that violent intervention into the economy, as I call it. Third and fourth quarter estimates have been trimmed, not as bad as everyone expected. They're coming down, they may come down further, but down about three and a half and 3.1% respectively. Uh, still higher prices, higher labor costs are causing a little bit of demand destruction in the economy. That in and of itself is a disinflationary phenomena. And now the market is rallying, even though we still have inflation, even though we have these earnings cuts, because that's what the market does, right? It says, okay, we got what we thought we were going to get. What's next? Well, what's next is ultimately an end to the rate hikes. Uh, there's going to be rate cuts at some point in the future. Could be as early as this time next year. The economy continues to slow as long as the inflation numbers um, roll over. The one thing that may, there's two things that may suggest the equity market bottom is in. Number one, we've had a very strong rally off the bottom on poor economic news. Uh, we're now seeing stock prices up, you know, eight, 10% more, more from that bottom in the case of the, you know, the NASDAQ, some of these others. The, the worst of the earnings sort of misses and so forth and guidance. Now this is the quarter where they usually guide us low. Uh, that's now behind us. Um, the biggest rate of Fed increases is now is now likely behind us. And what we saw on the companies that missed their earnings estimate in the last weeks was they normally when you miss, you, you have a negative price reaction. We got it. We had Intel and some others, IBM. But in the end, it was far better. In other words, they perform better after a miss than they usually do. And that is frequently seen as a bottom in, in prices. So um, 
stay tuned on that one. I'm not ready to call it. It was the bottom, but it's now a little more likely than it was, say, a week ago. This week, we've got uh, the, the S&P Global uh, PMI for the U.S. manufacturing. Uh, we've got the ISM. Both are expected to be above 50. Construction spending up three-tenths of a percent. Tuesday, job openings expected to be still close to 11 million. Auto sales still impacted by supply chain issues around computer chips, but 13.5 million annualized. Then we got the two services readings on Wednesday, both the S&P and the ISM. S&P now is, is the consensus is for a services number to be negative. Um, again, at 47, uh, we'll see about that. Factory orders, weekly claims for unemployment, trade deficit, remember that subtraction from GDP getting less, okay, that'd be great. Big number jobs report um, on Friday, 250,000 is the number, unemployment expected at 3.6. Consumer credit, average hourly earnings. Thanks for tuning in. Be back to you again next week. Thank you for listening to Slaying Bulls and Bears. If you'd like to download the slides for this week's podcast, go to www.efficient-portfolios.com and join our mailing list. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel, rate us online, and share with a friend if you found this helpful. See you next week.